I'm Tom Morello, host of Maximum Firepower, a weekly podcast focusing on the music, the moments, and the movements that have shaped my worldview and left an indelible mark on me as an artist and activist. Correct with Maximum Firepower. You and me. This is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. I'm Tom Morello. Welcome to Maximum Firepower. Today it is an honor and a privilege and a delight to have my good friend and guest Bob Ezrin as we run down our 10 favorite guitar solos of all time. Bob, how are you today? I'm doing great, Tom, and it's my delight, my pleasure, and my honor. <laughs> <laughs> it's lovely to see you. Now, Bob Ezrin, of course, has produced some of the greatest and most important albums of all time, from the Pink Floyd to the Alice Cooper to the Kiss catalogs, and I'm to the present day MC5 record, which he's working on right, which I'm keeping him from working on right now by forcing him to do this podcast with me. But what we've been doing on these over the course of these last few Maxim Fire podcasts is coming up with top 10 lists where my guests and I will each pick our top five in any particular subject. And Bob and I, after some discussion and debate, have landed on our top five favorite guitar solos of all time. A uh, subject which we are intimately familiar with. And Bob, I'm going to let you take the first slot. Give me a guitar solo that you enjoy. Oh, well, number one, and I, I admit to a certain amount of prejudice here, but number one <laughs> for me all time is the solo in the middle of the song, Comfortably Numb. And right behind it comes the solo at the end of Comfortably Numb by, <laughs> by David Gilmore of the yes. uh, little English band called Pink Floyd. On, yes, perhaps uh, you've heard of them. The Wall. Yeah. Perhaps yeah. you've heard of them. So Bob produced The Wall, and so tell us about the recording of that guitar solo. Okay, so what we were doing when we made that record was we would create a guide track first and then kind of overdub everybody to it. So for most of the songs, we would have like an acoustic guitar and a vocal to set the song form for us, and it would be done to a click, sometimes human, sometimes a drum loop that we made. And the drum loop was, interestingly, literally a, a loop of tape that would go all the way around the room, you know, from the machine across uh, mic stands and back to the machine. And we would cut it out of some of Nick Mason's own play so that when it came time for him to play on top of it, he was playing with someone he knew and loved. Yeah. <laughs> so on this one... I had a pretty good notion for the kind of arrangement of the song, and so did David, and we had a drum loop. So the two of us sat down, I played piano, and he played guitar. He was set up through his big Yamaha. Uh, he had a Yamaha Leslie amp, and he had a secondary amp, and I can't remember whether it was the high watt or, or exactly what it was. But the combination of the two was what made up that sound. And I was playing the other parts on the piano just so that there was some body to the guide track. And we're playing along, and then we come to the solo, and David Gilmore goes, and played that solo, which knocked me back on my piano. I mean, I didn't stop playing because I'm a pro, but I, <laughs> but I almost passed out because it so was, it was just... So it was improvised? Improvised. It was improvised, yeah. Like off the top of his head, which so much of his soloing is. And it was just so amazingly beautiful, fitting, complete. It started right, it arced right, it ended perfectly and led into the next bit of the song. For me, it was perfection. And I just went, oh my God, that's our solo. And yeah. David said, well, you know, I, I think I can do better. So, <laughs> uh, so he went and tried hundreds of times, literally, 
to better that solo. And it was the first one that you kept. Yes. My recollection is that's the one that we kept. Wow. It's, I mean, there's uh, such a spiritual component to that solo. You know what I mean? Like there's clearly a tapping into something else there. Right. Which, by the way, is so much of what David does. You yeah. Know? Like, and it's interesting because he's rather taciturn as a person, right? He's, you know, he's not the most effusive person you've ever met. And, you know, he runs the gamut of emotions from A to B. Mm-hmm. As, and... Uh, <laughs> And, and you don't never really know what's going on there unless you know him very, very well. And that's, I think, purposeful on his part. He's, yeah. you know, he likes to hold things back. But boy, when he plays, he plays the whole world's worth of emotions. And yeah. he plays the whole world's worth of spirituality and tenderness and yeah. beauty and majesty. There's a yeah. kind of a majesty to his sound. So that's number one. I'm going to go with a David Gilmore solo for one of mine as well. The solo from Time. Yeah, the <laughs> solo from Time, which which is an interesting sort of like complement to and juxtaposition to the Comfortably Numb solo, where there is this, in Comfortably Numb, to me, it feels as almost like, while the song is kind of dark, there's a spiritual relief to the solo in Comfortably Numb. Time kind of goes dark. There's a dark majesty to the solo in Time. I played that for my nine-year-old shredding son, Roman, and he felt sort of the power and the emotion of it just with one listen through. You know, and it's a solo that I think will connect for the ages, and David Gilmore, you know, is, is topping our list. Is, it should be a surprise to no one. The next one on my list, it's of a similar ilk, but it's all along the Watchtower, Jimi Hendrix. And the reason for that is probably similar to the reason for David Gilmore. I just find it it's transcendent, it elevates you, it just carries you on a journey. And, mm-hmm. and as far as I know, it was another one of those kind of early takes and all the way through. This was not something that, sliced that and, um, yeah, together. they sliced and diced together, right? And this is just off the top of his head. Very much like David, Jimmy had this ability to lose himself and to sort of tap into the gods of music, you know, mm-hmm. and find a way to express just this whole like wide variety of emotions and feelings through an impeccable stitching together of a billion notes like yes. these guys we're not talking about like what do do that's it right, see you right, right right these right, are like right. a billion notes and none <laughs> of them are wrong right <laughs> the thing about all along the watch hour is like it's in movements the solo is in movement it is indeed you know what I mean? it's, it's in movements yeah. in a in a way where i love jimmy Hendrix playing no matter what he's doing but sometimes it's clearly like this kind of at the crossroads, blues jamming in a way that is transcendent, but not so much on this solo. There's compositional movements that all feel like they're made up off the top of his head to create this transcendent moment. I'm going to go with Jimi Hendrix on this one. I'm going to go with the Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock. To make a guitar solo that is a historical cultural moment cornerstone in a country's centuries history is something else. You know, now we also take it for now, everyone plays the Star Spangled Banner at a sports game with an instrument that's not their voice. But the idea to sort of turn that song on its head to capture the cultural tumult of the times. You hear the Vietnam War in it. You hear, you know, the riots in the streets. You hear the sexual revolution happening all while he's playing the nation's song, you know, in a way that we would never be able to hear it the same way. This is your doctoral thesis. <laughs> Morello, I'm telling you, I'll bet, I'll bet you if you petition for this as a doctoral thesis, they would take it. They would take it, it yeah, yeah. Because it encompasses everything. And I agree with you. I didn't think of it as a, you know, I guess it's the producer in me. When you say guitar solo, I was doing it in the context of a record. But right, you're right. right. I mean, that yeah. is a solo performance. 
and it's just off the charts amazing. In thinking about guitar solos, I was thinking about electric guitar. I don't know why I restricted myself. Yeah, Obviously, there are some really amazing, incredible acoustic guitar moments, but let's stay with our lists. Sure, sure, sure. Johnny Be Good was number three for me. Can't argue with that. And my reasoning was that that opened the door for expression on a guitar within the context of a record. And let's face it, that's where we all got to ply our craft, right? Mm -hmm. If it weren't for records, nobody would have heard what we played. So, right, right. (laughs) So, and up until then, really, guitar was an important sort of bed to the song, but it was rarely a featured instrument every Mm -hmm. once in a while, and usually for five seconds, and then you would move on. But uh, Johnny B. Good got everybody really interested in rock and roll guitar. Yeah. And I think it gave birth to a whole generation of guitar players who were like, ooh, wait a minute, <laughs> I could do that. Yeah. You know, and then that led to people becoming more creative and inventive. And I think it's responsible for pretty much every form of rock thereafter. Yeah, That's I, will, I will not argue opinion. with you there. Yeah. I mean, and not low on the list would be like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, for example, of people. For example. Yeah, for example, yeah. who, who responded to that. The next one on my list is the poster that I had on my wall when I was practicing my 20,000 hours was a contemporary shredder of the day, a fellow by the name of Randy Rhodes. The song Mr. Crowley is the one that has not one, but two of my favorite guitar solos in it. Randy Rhodes identified first and foremost as a musician and secondarily as a rock star. And that very much appealed to me. My uncle Carlo Morello played in the Chicago Symphony Orchestra for 40 years. So I'd always, he'd be around the house with his violin and taking a craft seriously is something that I saw firsthand. My grandfather was a talented pianist as well. And so then here was a guy who, you know, as the legend, he was on tour with Ozzy Osbourne on days off, he would take classical guitar lessons in whatever city that they were in. He created a unique alloy, in my opinion, for guitar players. One was he had all of the Eddie Van Halen pyrotechnics, the guitar playing of the era he had down. But he also had this classical background, this underpinning and this seriousness about composition. And he understood sort of modal theory. And so he's matching this crazy guy who's biting heads off of bats, his uh, his, uh, studied DNA. It was one part Paganini, one part Angus Young. And it happens not once, but twice in the song, Mr. Crowley. Boy, I have not heard Angus Young and Paganini. Uh, <laughs> all you got to do is listen to those Randy Rhodes solos, and it's all married right there. in a statement before. That's it's, pretty good. Yeah, it's all right there. All right, what do you? Got I can't. Now? I can't argue with that. You know, I, yeah. I can't. I mean, my tendency is to lean towards the more melodic yes. guys, only yeah. because that's my upbringing. That's where yeah. I come from. For mm-hmm. me, the, my first exposure to heavy metal was Tchaikovsky. Sure, sure. <laughs> was uh, the overture for Romeo and Juliet. And I just thought that that was the most powerful thing I'd ever heard in my life. And then I was always looking for that power in the music that I played and in the music that I started to work with. So that sort of informs this selection. Yes, yes. But I give you Randy Rhodes. And you know what? And I should give you Eddie Van Halen in just about anything. What a guitar player. But we are going for the solo. The solo, yes. So so what do you got? So my next was Crossroads, which, again, I think opened up a new world for guitar players. They said, shit, we can play a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for better or worse. In for some better cases. or worse. Let's make it perfectly clear. For better or worse, in some cases, but yeah. Yes, yeah. in many cases, yeah. actually. <laughs> yes, but we could play a long time, and we could really develop something. And the guitar can take over. It is not just a kind of 
a variation on the main theme of the song. Mm -hmm. It is mm -hmm. actually the guitar creating its own new themes throughout mm -hmm. and moving the song along to where when the song comes back, the song itself becomes a variation. That's right. Which I just love. It was like turning the whole form upside down. And so even though, like, technically speaking, maybe it's not the greatest solo that was ever played, but I mm -hmm. think in terms of its conception, it was mm -hmm. incredibly important. I'm Tom Morello. You're listening to Maximum Firepower. My guest today is Bob Ezrin as we run down our 10 favorite guitar solos of all time. Since we mentioned Eddie Van Halen, I will choose, again, it's an acapella solo, I will choose Eruption. Uh, and it's been talked about, you know, as, as another signpost where yeah. I remember reading you know, in guitar magazines, probably still to this day, people saying guitar magazines, you know, it's all been done. Like, how would you know it's all been done? Well, Eddie Van Halen didn't take for granted that it had all been done. And he looked at the guitar as it was just a piece of wood with six wires and a few electronics. And he moved the goalposts in both directions and made everyone rethink what that instrument could be, you know, me at the top of the list. So that song's been talked about a lot. And then he took, if you listen to that song, Eruption, the rest of his career, there was a funny David Lee Roth quote, where Dave, I think, was jealous because of the global acclaim that Eddie was getting for playing on the Michael Jackson Beat It song. Dave was jealous of all that. So he said, basically, he's just played Eruption in 500 different guitar solo slots, and he finally played it on a pop song, and everyone's losing their minds about it. It's the same damn solo every single time. And there may be some truth to the spirit that Eddie plays with, but there's a, the redefinition of the instrument happened uh, with Eruption. You know, Eruption was on my list. And it actually lost the spot to uh, Johnny Be Good. I'm glad you covered it because it was my number three. And then I put yeah. Johnny Be Good in there instead. And I didn't move everything else down because I didn't yeah. want to give up on the last of mine, which is Sultan's A Swing. And the reason that that song exists on my list is because what Mark Knopfler did was in sort of a similar way to Eddie. He showed what the instrument was capable of doing, lyrically speaking, without all the other stuff around it that, mm -hmm. that almost every other guitar part on record at the time was employing, right? Because this was just the simplest of simplest sounds. When you have a vibrato like that, and this is the key, the key is in the vibrato, that most guitar players think if they move their whole hand, yeah. that's vibrato. And if they move it really quickly, that's vibrato. That's not vibrato. That's kind of tremolo, but it's, all that is is just nervousness from my point of view. True vibrato is like what your uncle did, which mm -hmm. is in the finger, moving the finger back and forth. Or if you are moving your hand, you move it side to side, not up and down, just to get the string to really sing and resonate. And it's really pulling the tone out of the string in a way that brings the string to full life. Otherwise, we're thrashing it and smashing it and hitting it really hard. And even though it's a piece of metal, it goes, ow, 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 <laughs> stop, stop, ow, ow, ow. But when you caress it lovingly and you, yeah. and you massage it and move it slowly up and down, it goes, ooh, I love you. I yeah. make a nice sound for you now. <laughs> so those guys... Knopfler and Gilmore both had learned that, and they're not the only ones in the world, but this is very much a part of what makes their sound so rich and real. And then, of course, the melodic content of that solo. Again, another solo that is a movement and that takes the song into an entirely different place. And then when you come back to the song, it's very symphonic in that way. It's like the, you know, the guitar is the third movement, the solo, and then the fourth movement is the repeat of the main motif. As someone who is not a huge Dire Straits fan, I always stand at attention 
when that solo comes on the radio. It's so beautiful and so masterful. And so as someone who appreciates music and appreciates guitar playing, I just like have to take my hat off to Mark Knopfler. Yeah, and you know, the interesting thing about Knopfler, Mark, like David, they're both held in, both of them. You know, Mark is a very sweet man and, and warm if you get to know him, but he can be, you know, a little bit withdrawn. He's very quiet, like David, mm -hmm. and yet, what comes out of those fingers and what translates through the, the instruments that they play. I, you know, they're both remarkable human beings. There's something about them. I think that what they are is they're openings in the universe. You know, they are, you know, there's black holes. These are white holes. These are the openings for that energy that comes from someplace we don't understand mm -hmm. and expresses itself through them, comes out as music. You can feel it. For, for another brick in the wall, part two, the solo, that was one that was a contender on my list. I remember, I loved that song. The song was taking over the world and everyone who was in school could relate to that, like I thought 1000%. But when I first heard it, as someone who was at the time enjoying nothing but heavy metal guitar, I was like, I remember being disappointed that the guitar solo wasn't ripping my head off at the end. Later, I realized the error of my ways and what a genius solo it was and that it could not be improved upon in any way, shape or form. But Now that I, is a first take. Shit, that is, dude, that's, like, that's not only crazy. a first take. That's crazy. So I lied to him because sometimes when David knew he was recording, he'd start thinking about what he wanted to do. So and then we would have to work and develop. But in this case, I thought, you know, why don't we try like a DI on this song, which is for your listeners, is just taking the guitar directly, no amplifier, directly into the console. And so I took the DI sound of his, for the very reason I just said, because out of his fingers comes the music. I didn't mm -hmm. want any of the other trappings and brought it into the console and just added some compression to it. And while he was noodling, it just sounded so great. I said, oh, Dave, let's just run the track for sound. Yeah. I'm just going to run the track for sound. Sneak, sneaky. Hit record, played it. That's the solo. Wow. That's it. And when it was over, that I literally did fall out of my chair because yeah. it was just so And brilliant. that's through the DI. That's like straight into the board. Straight into the board. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Thank you for that revelation. So before I reveal my final one, there are a number of runner-ups and another Bob Ezrin producer. The first guitar solo I ever learned was uh, the Detroit Rock City guitar solo, which I believe may have been a Bob Ezrin composition. As the lore says, it may not have been an Ace Frehley original. I hope at least here, Paul, one of them was actually playing it on the record. That was just so melodically stirring and went with this great rock song. Then the two sort of co, they have to be mentioned at least set out loud in a conversation would be the Southern Whiskey <laughs> drenched Hotel California, which is what Freebird is, and then the yeah. Hotel California solo, which are, you know, these compositional masterpieces, which you got to at least say them out loud before I get to my final one. Two were very meaningful to me, but did not make the top five. Really almost anything in the Gang of Four catalog. Andy Gill, who really was an outside player, who deconstructed the way that guitar could sound within a song and so these sort of jagged raptor-like noises accompanying this funk background. And then Alan Holdsworth and his song Metal Fatigue, which made me think about sonics in a very, very different way and you know, playing unexpected sounds and notes to complement songs. But I went with a more traditional one for my final, which is Stairway to Heaven. Whether it's the one on Led Zeppelin Four or whether it's the live one from Song Remains the Same, it's just a work of inspired genius. And while it's it, some of the guitar solos we discussed have been sort of groundbreaking ways, I don't know that this one was. It's just so melodically and emotionally and spiritually just completely transcendent. And I would maybe put money on that it may be the most heard guitar solo of all time. <laughs>
between Stairway to Heaven and Comfortably Numb, those yes, two, yeah, yeah, those, yeah. those two songs were played a lot. A lot, uh, a lot. I resisted putting Stairway to Heaven on there only because just because it was so popular and sort of played to death. Yes. And I probably would have done the same with yeah. Comfortably Numb if I hadn't been associated with yeah. it. You know? <laughs> but the truth is, you're right. Boy, that is an entire symphonic work in and yeah. of itself. Yeah. And, and where a band that was known as much for its mystique as for anything else, to be able to sort of nail or represent that mystique with notes on that song yes. is something that's, you know, it rounded out the entire majestic package of Led Zeppelin in a way that, you know. That's a good now. way to describe them in general, actually. Yeah. They represented their mystique and notes in so many different cases in so many different ways. To finish our conversation, Bob, so there's a lot of musicians who listen to this. And as someone who has produced some of the greatest guitar solos, now everybody's at home trying to produce their own guitar solos. That's what's happening right now. So would you get any sort of words of advice for the aspiring guitar solo players and recorders out there? Where I start with just about any guitar player that, that I've worked with, we start our conversation with the blues. We start there because the instrument itself sort of, in a way, gave birth to the musical form that we know of. I mean, there's the blues that's a cappella, which is an entirely different thing. But instrumental blues was, you know, basically belonged to a guitar and a vocal. And the guitar had to play so many different roles because there was just one person singing and just one person playing. The guitar had to not only support, but it had to speak its own language and had to find itself. And I think in a way the instrument evolved around that musical form, at least in terms of the uh, steel string instrument, the steel string acoustic and steel string electric instrument. So for every guitar player that I've ever worked with, I ask them to play blues, you know, let's just play some blues. And I can tell right away if they have that foundation, because if they don't, I send them in a way back to school and say, you know, go back and listen to blues records and learn some of those solos. It's going to teach you how mm. your instrument was meant to be played. And then the idea is learn the fundamentals like you do with anything. Learn how to ride a bicycle in a straight line to start mm -hmm. off with. And then mm -hmm. you can start doing <laughs> wheelies and all that other stuff. Yeah. So learn the fundamentals of the guitar. And for me, the fundamentals are not playing Bach exercises on a guitar. They are playing the blues and coming to a point where you understand those structures all the way up the neck, not just first position, but fifth, seventh, all the way up the neck. Where's the blues form? Where's the structure? Once you get that, then I want you to pay attention to your vibrato because therein lies the sustainability of a note, the richness of a note, the attractiveness of a note. You want your notes to be beautiful. You want people to love them. So if you want them to love it, here's, here's a way to think of it. Are people going to love you if it talks like this all the time? <laughs> Usually not. Mostly they'll love you when you say, yeah. I love you. Yeah. So you want your guitar to, you know, sometimes you want it to scream to get people's attention, but sometimes you want it to step forward and whisper in their ear. And the only way to get that sound is to learn how to massage the guitar itself. And the massaging is in the vibrato. And then the, the third thing that I would say is pay attention to your pick. Because a lot of guitar players now, they're so in a hurry to get going. They've got a left hand that's it's fantastic, plays a billion notes in a way, but the pick is not grabbing the string in an efficient way. So what we're getting is a lot of on notes instead of ding, 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 we get ching, ching, ching. You miss the attack. If you miss the attack, 
You miss the front part. It would, it would be like drums. If all drums sound like whoop, instead of boom, boom, boom. Guitars are percussive instruments as well as melodic instruments. So you got to really, you got to know how to hold the pick so it gets that, that attack in an effective way that doesn't screw up your vibrato and that, you know, adds to the richness of the tone. Those three things are for technique and for getting yourself good at your acts. Then how to play a proper solo is sing. As far as I'm concerned, if you can sing it, it's a great solo. If you can't sing it, it's probably just a bunch of notes. You know, because at the end of the day, the audience is going to take it away and try to remember it and sing it in their heads. The great solos are ones that the audience are walking around singing in their heads. If they mm. can't sing it, it ain't a great solo. That's my opinion. Well, thank you, Bob. Thanks again for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. And my I appreciate great pleasure. You. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower Podcast. Until next time, take it easy, but take it. Let foes of justice tremble. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hear this episode again or listen to past shows right now on the SiriusXM app. Search Maximum Firepower. Oh.